And we're live here on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. And guess what, guys? Soccer is back. For postgame. Postgame after seven of eight, eight of nine, eight of nine Bundesliga games are, are, are in the books. And, uh, well, empty stadiums, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We're used to being literally feet away from the pitch, and now we're literally across the ocean uh, post-game. But I, I think everyone had to get used to this uh, sort of new adjustment. I know a lot of uh, our fellow friends were uh, – this was their first foray into Bundesliga, so there was a big learn, learning curve for everyone. Yeah, it was fun to see. Yeah, I mean, I'm – Go ahead, Sam. Go ahead. I'm just, I'm just definitely one of those people I did not watch the league um before but i mean it it broke records Bundesliga. i think i saw a tweet um it like broke viewing records in the u.s yeah goff tweeted um dc was the third market third largest market for these games um so you know props to our city but yeah i think everybody will take any kind of soccer that they can get even if they're not as familiar with the teams or the players yeah, and we, and we talked a little bit last week about the teams that we know Joshua and, and Michael have chosen already. I've officially made a choice now. Uh, I, d- I did some research oh, yeah? during the week leading up. You know, I pulsed my sources overseas, um, and, and I, I chose Borussia Mönchengladbach, who came out just smoking yesterday with a goal in the first minute, uh, which was awesome, and route to a, a 3-1 win. So um, that's who I'm going to stick with. And, uh, Sam, I think you're – you're the last one unattached unless uh, unless you've made some commitments here. No, I haven't. I don't know that I will become attached either. I don't think I'm – because, again, I don't know how much I'm going to follow the league, you know, once everything gets back. I'm obviously watching games, and if it, if it naturally happens, then I'll, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, and I'll definitely make that announcement. But, uh, yeah, I might just remain unattached and enjoy all the soccer and watch you all crumble as this league finishes. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've seen a couple of tweets about, you know, you don't have to pick a team to follow to follow the league. Allegedly. And I, I I still somewhat agree with that or disagree with that. I feel like it, you just get more invested if you pick a singular team to follow and watch. But man, Chalkett was tough to watch. And if they continue to not play a goalkeeper, I'll probably start watching someone else. That's brutal. <laughs> And yeah, that may be our uh, Twitter poll question this week is whether you can follow the league without choosing an individual team. For me, I think it might be able to be done, but it's certainly not something I'm capable of. Uh, I think trying to bite off an entire league and follow everything and stay interested and motivated to stay up on the news there is a bit much. Uh, For me, you know, Wolfsburg pulled out a big win yesterday, uh, went up uh, 1-0, game tied up and scored a game winner in uh, extra time second half. So uh, good result. Puts them into sixth. Uh, obviously, this lifelong fandom is paying off for me so far. So I'm glad to hear it. Am I allowed well, to complain again about the poor <laughs> management by the Bundesliga for five games in one window? Or is that just like, should I, should I just let it go at this point? <laughs> I think you just need to to accept that. I mean, it's frustrating. Um, but I'd just like to be clear that I, I agree that it would be difficult to follow a league without a team. My caveat is, again, that I don't know that I'm going to hardcore, like, jump into being a Bundesliga fan for the rest of my life. 
you know, I'm, I'm just kind of enjoying the soccer right now. So that's kind of why I'm a little bit more loose about picking a team. Um, and that's why it took me so long to get into English soccer, because I also don't enjoy just arbitrarily picking a team. So, um, you know, I, I just picked an English team over the winter, and now I'm, like, absolutely much more invested into games, and it's a lot more fun to watch. Um, and even though my team is in the championship, you know, I'm still watching the Premier League and, you know, seeing, like, who our competition would hopefully be next year. So it's definitely more fun once you have a team. I just don't know that I'm going to pick a team for this short window because then I will have to be invested for the rest of my life. I don't know if I'm yeah. willing to make that commitment right now. Well, there were a couple of cool things to kind of watch as a neutral observer yesterday. I mean, obviously my game wasn't until quote unquote, unquote my game wasn't until uh, 1230. So the early window was interesting. And I mean, yeah, you're right. Joshua Dortmund just came flying back. I mean, it almost looked as if they'd just been practicing this whole time. I mean, Schalke's not a bad team at all, and they you you would you would be forgiven for thinking they were you know bottom of the league after watching that performance. And Dortmund looked great, and you know something I think all of us mentioned yesterday to each other was how cool was it at the end of that game? Uh, you know, when when the players six feet apart from each other it went up and saluted the yellow wall where where all the fans would have been uh, it, it was it was kind of a special way to to return of like we know you're not here you, you know it, it's not it's no secret the players know it the fans know it the commentators yeah. know it um but the quality but of the game was good yeah but it was kind of like a you're not here physically but we know you're still with us right like we're still saluting you we know you're still watching and you still have our backs and you're still bringing the passion in all the ways that you can right now, which is why I thought that was super cool that they were acknowledging that. Also, you know, because they did it like six feet apart, I thought it was funny. And, you know, even throughout the game, people score and they do the elbows instead of the high fives. So, you know, some of the goal celebrations were like more spaced apart. Um, so it's just interesting to see how the players were incorporating guidelines into the game as, as much as they could. Obviously, it's still a contact sport and you're still you know, touching people and, um, you know, making tackles and things like that. But they were still following the guidelines, which I just thought was, like, super interesting to watch. Yeah, oh, I thought it, was, it was definitely funny Holland's uh, go, going shoulder to shoulder with his defender as the cross is whipped in and he puts it in the net and then he goes to the corner and stands six feet apart from his teammates. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting, you know, where you drew the line on how you're following guidelines. It didn't seem to impact the game itself, but you could definitely tell that like the referee was trying to maintain space from the players around him, even down to the coin toss at the beginning. You saw players sitting in the first couple of rows of the stands, spaced apart, wearing masks. Uh, it looked like all the training staffs were wearing masks, but the managers weren't required to for whatever reason. Uh, sometimes I think that having the manager be a little bit quieter and focus on what they can do at halftime when they're speaking to the team directly rather than yelling at them while they're on the field uh, might be a, a positive move. But on, on the whole, you know, I thought it was a positive uh, experience. Also uh, cool to see a couple of uh, ball kids out there. Uh, like one of the broadcasts was talking about requiring them to be 16 to 18 years old, but we've got to get the ball back in somehow. Uh, I'm just trying to picture some of the stars like watching Alfonso Davies run up to the 25th row to try to grab a ball because that's the only <laughs> ball they've got. It makes you feel like you're playing back at uh, E12, E14. What did you guys think of the atmosphere on TV? I mean, obviously there's no fans, but you could, it, it wasn't totally silent. You could hear all kinds of yelling. Um, what were your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. I actually liked it. I thought it was really interesting to like hear the players yelling at each other and things like that. I mean, when else do you get to hear what that communication is? Um, and I just thought it was a lot more authentic. I know there are people who, you know, wanted just ambient fan noise to be pumped into the stadium or pumped into the broadcast. And I understand that, like, it's definitely not the same atmosphere, but that just feels silly to me. I mean, we all know it's fake. I don't know how much that would actually, you know, motivate the players. Um, I did think it was funny, though. I don't remember which game it was, and it was probably more than one, but a goal was scored, and they still played, like, the goal celebration song. Or I know, like, some teams, like, they still walked out to the music they always walk out to. So I thought it was, again, nice that people are trying. It's like this mesh of normalcy and you know, having a deal with COVID. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely pro quiet stadium. Yeah, I don't think the fan noise. I agree. I don't think that piping in crowd noise is really the best solution, especially in a game like soccer where it's so fluid. It's not like there was a, a catch in a, in a football game or a hit in a baseball game where you know where the noise is going to be. You know, so much of soccer is the fans saying, hey, you know, we're running out of time. This field is looking flat. Let's get louder. Let's, you know, get behind this team and see if we can carry them through. And I think we saw a few moments like that where you know, the players in the field were looking for the, the noise to try to help, you know, get through a tough spot in the game. It just wasn't happening. And it's not like you can, it, you can't have gatherings anywhere. So uh, it's not like you can say you're going to pipe in people yelling at a pub because people aren't able to watch there either. Uh, so I totally agree that trying to create the atmosphere without having it being real that would just feel off to me one of the things that i noticed the most and it was actually comical this morning um during the union berlin um byron game I, the biggest amount of noise i think i heard all weekend watching these games was when var ruled out the first byron goal and it would like you could just hear the entire union berlin team celebrating all at once and it was it was pretty audible. I mean, it wasn't like you know, twenty thirty thousand fans or however much that stadium holds, you know, all cheering at the same time. But it it was definitely noticeable, uh, which is it's, it's kind of cool. It's I think you know, ten years from now, we're gonna look back at this and and these you know behind closed doors games and be like, that was kind of cool. I mean, wouldn't prefer it, but you know, it was, it was a cool look at it because normally behind closed doors games are like preseason you know, or, or like friendlies, um, that there's not nearly as much energy. Uh, but it, it was fun. I, I, I thought it was fun to see some of the celebrations and the teams getting behind it. I think it'd be interesting too, to see how they change the way they plan the broadcasts. You know, we, we've seen differences between the different networks on how they mic up the supporters section versus doing the crowd. And I wonder if you'll see some of the broadcasters really focus on trying to grab that, player-to-player -player interaction out there. I don't speak German, so it wouldn't do me a whole lot of good. Uh, but I do think that you can uh, get a lot from that. It's something you wouldn't necessarily be able to grab out uh, when you've got a full stadium of 50 to 60,000 fans screaming at you. Yeah, for, for me, it was eerily normal. So I, I kind of missed the, the pregame show because Fox decided they weren't going to do that. And they went with the international broadcasters, which I don't think they should have done any, either. But Fox has totally checked out on the Bundesliga, by the way. They've just, like, mailed it in. They yeah. lost the rights. They're, they're yeah. over it. <laughs> and they could be making an absurd amount of money right now because, like like Sam said, the ratings are going to be ridiculous. But 
but despite no pregame and I kind of like most most games do the supporter section as a build into the game besides that the game was the same for for a lot of parts and I've read throughout this week I tried to pull it up just now but I've read players talk about yeah when I played in the NBA stadium I couldn't discern like it, it felt my body and my mind were telling me this is a, a friendly this is not for for real that that atmosphere makes it real for the players but as a as a spectator watching on the tv when the crowd wasn't in view it looked like a normal game the, the teams were going at it at each other and and i don't know i just got into it yeah i mean along those lines i think you know this is the reality it was super interesting to see the first weekend we'll see you know what tweaks um they're gonna make on the broadcasting side but you know, on the soccer side, I know Johnny put out a tweet um, asking who everyone's rooting for. Um, and James Lambert responded and said, um, anyone that gives us a true title race. So how do we feel about that? Well, I think that's a really good point, And that, that's one of the reasons why, personally, I don't think I've been very invested in the Bundesliga over the past few years, because there's truly never been a title race. It feels like, you know, it's and and it was funny that you know the last time I got to see our, our good friend Adrian uh, over in England, it was just like no matter how far behind Bayern find themselves at some point in the season, it's always Bayern. And I, I had kind of remembered that vaguely before you know we dove back into the Bundesliga this weekend, and I was like, I wonder what that table looks like. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, Bayern's back on top. Uh, but it, it's close. It's it's closer than than it has before, and I don't know if we're gonna see. Um, Dortmund and Bayern again. I don't know if they've played. I'll have to have to look into that here in a second. Uh, if they've played both games, but I know Much and Godback plays um, Bayern again this year, and uh, there, there's there's a few other big games. It's it's kind of tight at the top. It's only seven points that separate the top four clubs right now. Yeah, I think that was you know one of our questions. You know, us not being avid Bundesliga fans by any means, but you know, how would the quality of play come in? You know, we all know that. Byron is that dominant team who tends to carry the league. I think didn't they fire their coach back in October or November? And like you said, somehow they're always ending up at the top. Um, I think for me, watching uh, a couple of games this weekend, including the Byron game, who you know, they fairly handily pulled off that 2-0 uh, win. But the other games were solid. But I also think that you wouldn't necessarily think that a lot of no loss players would be out of place were they to, you know, play in that league. Uh, certainly a different style sometimes and playing for some different coaches. But uh, on the whole, I don't think that MLS is that far behind where the, the Bundesliga is, especially at those you know, mid to lower tier. So I mean, we have, we're not expecting an MLS team to jump in like Bayern and compete for a, a Champions League trophy, but uh, across the rest of the board, not really that far off. Yeah, it'll be um, it'll be interesting just to watch. As we said, I'm I'm gonna keep watching the soccer and I'm gonna really love it. Um, but you know, we do have some other leagues that are, are thinking about starting up. Um, are they though? The are they? John, kind of shook your head. So I'm gonna let you take it over. How are you feeling about this? Sam struck a nerve early in in today's show. I the Premier League is it just a debacle right now I, I it's to me it's beyond frustrating just how much bickering is going on between these clubs to try to figure out how they're going to restart should they restart when do they restart 
look, safety is absolutely a concern. It should be the top concern. And I think the UK has done a significantly worse job at handling this than Germany. So the fact that they're not back yet is not super surprising. But to hear some of these clubs that are, you know, bottom of the table saying, you know, we're not playing neutral site games. You know, we had a number of home games stacked up and we, we want to be able to play at home. It's like, guys, two things. One, there's no crowd. So home away, like it, it shouldn't really make that big of a difference. It's not like, you know, playing away at Liverpool is all of a sudden going to be really that much different than playing them at home. They're just the best team. Like they're going to be a tough game anywhere, but there's no, you know, massive wall of fans to make it harder and harder on the players. And I, I think the other side of the coin is if the choice is you play in neutral sites or you don't play at all, why would you not be pushing, especially these teams in a relegation battle, why would you not be pushing for a clear chance for survival? And I think that's what frustrates me more than anything here. But the you know the British government's come out and said, I think they're willing to entertain games actually at the stadiums they were originally scheduled for now, which is good. Let's hope the Brits can behave and stay away from the ground so that we don't have issues outside. Um but yeah, I mean I think that's that's kind of my two cents. They gotta figure this out soon because, you know, they're gonna be playing games three, four times a week to try to get this done if they keep dragging it out much longer, and, and no one wants that. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, Go ahead, Black. Uh, I was going to say, I, I definitely agree with you. Though. I think that the distinction over neutral side games, now that we've seen a weekend of games being played in home stadiums where there's not a huge difference, particularly in a, a country like England where there is travel time involved, but it's nowhere near the same level as you'd see in, say, the MLS. Like, there's no Vancouver to Miami flight or uh, trying to handle that. We'll talk a little bit later in the show about uh, ideas that MLS has for uh, dealing with this. But I, I really think that the hollow blue ever trying to do neutral side games or taking away home advantages and all that stuff, it's really just teams posturing, you know, doing everything they can. If you feel like you're going to go down or you're even in danger of it, the penalties are so severe financially that you've got to do everything you can. And I really can't blame the teams for you know, sticking to their guns. But at some point, if they do want to get the season done, they're going to have to come together and compromise. Yeah, I, I was going to say something really similar. It feels like these teams are almost grasping at straws um, and they're trying to come up with like, you know, potentially excuses. Um, I mean, most of their season is done. So I, I feel like we know what everyone's form is right now. Um, but yeah, it feels like they're trying to grasp at straws, anything they can do to, you know, not go down. I thought at one point they were saying um, <clears throat> that they weren't going to play if there was still relegation or something like that. Um, I think one or two of the teams said it or like a couple of players suggested it. But, you know, that just feels silly. I, I feel like the league just needs to, kind of make a decision almost and say like if you don't play that's a forfeited game like it's, it's a silly thing that they're entertaining and I feel like it's not really a, a conversation worth having like just play the games it's a really unfortunate situation but the whole world is dealing with this situation right now so you need to like do your jobs well uh, I'll disagree I'll take the counterpoint here there is no precedent here so Germany just restarted with the French League shut it off and then the dutch league completely canceled and said there's no pro rel this year because we can't finish the season so they're kind of supported and, and saying look these other leagues have stopped and canceled because they don't get to finish the league properly i mean i mean they're it, it's a huge deal i don't know the inner workings of the lower t 
lower tiers of the EPL teams, but I know in MLS, you play differently if you're at home, if you're away. And I know New York City has a way smaller pitch. Their play style is suited to a, 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 a smaller pitch. If you're asked or whoever's in the rele- relegation zone and you play like that and you have to now play at Wembley where it doesn't suit your style and the, the grass is longer so the ball plays quicker and, and all that, those are serious factors. And you're looking at other leagues where it was canceled. It's, yeah, it is their job to play soccer, but is it their job to risk their lives so that they can get relegated for our entertainment? I don't know. I mean, I understand your point, but I think, you know, the league as a whole has come out and said that they're restarting. You know, those other leagues made different decisions, but this league is, you know, saying this. And there's almost the argument that, you know, getting promoted back up might be easier next year because I have seen a lot of things saying that, you know, these lower tier teams are definitely going to struggle and a lot of them are potentially going to have to fold and it might, you know, they might be able to come back after a couple of years, but, you know, this is financially hurting a lot of people. And, you know, in my mind, the sooner you get soccer started up, even like the higher tiers, you know, that's just going to trickle down and help the lower tiers. So I think that you're a professional soccer player and you need to be able to play on different, you know, field types. And again, it's an unprecedented situation, but you're a professional, everybody in their jobs right now are having to adapt to working differently. Um, you know, I can't decide not to do my job because I'm not going into the office. I, I just need to adapt. And I think they do too. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's obviously a ton of money at play here. And, and one of the things that really is of interest to the viewers is the relegation battle. I mean, there's, there's no way around it. If you look at the table right now, Norwich are probably in trouble. Uh, you know, they're, they're sitting on 21 points. They've played 29 games. They're probably going down, but the slots, you know, 15 through 19, you know, the, the bottom six really as a whole, there's only four points that separate Villa in 19th who have a game in hand from Brighton in 15th. Um, so, once this restarts, it's going to be fascinating at the at the bottom of the table. I mean, Watford were bottom for most of the year. They brought in Nigel Pearson. They're now above the relegation zone. But 16, 17, and 18 are all tied on 27 points, and Bournemouth are currently relegated on uh, goal differential. And the goal differential is shockingly close. It's one goal difference between Bournemouth and Watford. So to see this play out is going to be must-see TV if they can – if they can bring it back safely. But like we said at the beginning of this segment, that's got to be the first priority. I think that's the one thing that pretty much everybody agrees on. Do we have the testing? Do we have the ability to quarantine the players safely at facilities and at home? Um, Germany's got a model. We'll see if, if England can can follow it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, I think you're right. I think that the safety is, you know, number one. And obviously all these conversations we're having afterwards are assuming that the players can do this safely. I think if the league decided that that's not a possibility and they did just decide to end the season, then I understand you have the argument for, you know, not continuing or, you know, not having pro rel this season because there are those games and it is so tight, you know, you don't know what's going to happen at the end. Um, But I think if, you have the ability to play the game. You need to be able to do your job, even if the circumstances are not ideal. Yeah, you know, I think I take both your points. You know, to Joshua's point, yes, this is an entertainment product. It has to be safety first. You're not asking anyone to risk their lives to go out there. But I think more to the point, you know, you've got a league of 20 teams. 
and you've got teams throughout the table, uh, they're going to have to come to an agreement on how they're going to move forward either way. It seems like they've got, you know, splits as you would expect between you know, teams that are uh, trying to avoid going down, you know, teams who are at the top looking to you know, play in Champions League whenever that resumes. But the teams have to come together and make a decision, even if it is just suspended. I, mean, I don't think that's what any of us want, but they do have to make a decision at some point. And unfortunately, it seems like they're going to continue dragging it out, making it more painful and really like we see in anything else. It just makes everyone look silly. It's a big week coming up for the Premier League. They've got meetings tomorrow for sure scheduled, and we'll see what they come up with. Um, but we're going to throw it a break for now, and we'll be back to talk a little bit about Major League Soccer's plans, potentially uh, at the happiest place on earth, coming up right here on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. We'll be back in less than two minutes. Can't listen to us live on YouTube? Find Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, or Pocket Cast the morning after the match. Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. We'll be back in less than 90 seconds. Hey, thanks for listening live. If you want to join the conversation, let us know what you think in real time using the chat on YouTube Live, on Twitter using the hashtag TriedAndTrueDCU, or text us at 202-892-6328. Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. We'll be back in less than 60 seconds. Let us know what you think between games on Twitter at hashtag TriedAndTrueDCU or email us at TriedAndTrueDCU at gmail.com. Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken will be back in less than 30 seconds. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, go ahead and give us a follow on social media. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at TriedAndTrueDCU. Again, that's Instagram or Twitter at TriedAndTrueDCU. And we're back here on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. And every once in a while, you just have to have a little unscheduled outage right in the middle of your podcast. But we're making the best of it. (laughs) Happens to the best of us. Uh, But we've got a whole second segment prepped here because Major League Soccer has some very interesting plans about how they want to bring things back. And it involves potentially a trip to Disney World. We talked a bit about this last week, guys. And uh, this week on The Athletic, more news uh, was broke by Sam Sheskel. How do I say his last name, Joshua? You seem to be the best at it. Uh, you got pretty close, man. 
but you don't get the real one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna go on record. And say, he's he's no. just he's gonna let me keep trying it until I get it right. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. Disney's Coronado Springs Resort has emerged as the potential "quote unquote" bubble, if you will, um, where the entire league would be quarantined during this uh, potential MLS Cup Disney edition that they're talking about, and it could be up to eight to ten weeks of time that players uh, without their families, team officials, potentially some media would have to be down there, uh, referees. This this whole concept to me is just, it's so interesting. And, you know, I think we messaged a little bit yesterday about after watching the Bundesliga back in action and, you know, they've got empty stadiums, but they're the real stadiums. It was still kind of cool. I'm at least a little concerned, and we saw some of this going on on Twitter yesterday. Is a tournament at ESPN's Wide World of Sports going to give major league soccer and, and and forgive me ahead of time here but a little bit of a mickey mouse feel well well i, I won't pass up this opportunity to jab at orlando finally making the playoffs uh and you know at the disney world cup but yeah paul serenia uh, a writer for the athletic i believe uh talked about it and i i agree with him it it'll look like a u8 tournament i think if we're playing on on practice fields and the view behind the playing game is another field and like some moms and lawn chairs, it's, it's going to give us a, a real amateur look while these other teams are playing in these giant stadiums. MLS already has a hard time competing with the EPL and Bundesliga uh, in terms of atmosphere and presentation. And this would just be a huge step back. I get that we're not Germany and we can't all fly private jets between little cities uh, like that. We, we'd have to fly across country to do at you know, home and away no locked door behind closed door games, but this would just look so bad. And on top of the already confusing rules MLS has, you're going to try to incorporate some tournament into the standings because that's what the implementation is, I think, right? Yeah, well, I think those are two separate conversations, right? So, like, I'm just going to talk to the other point for for the fields is, like, I mean, I'm not a huge fan. That's not going to look fantastic. I think, you know, hopefully they at least put like banners up in the background or something. But I mean, I think it deserves more than Joshua's mentioned that, you know, the United States is huge. And, you know, technically this league is two countries big. Um, you know, we were talking with James Graham, you know, just about the distance of D.C. We were talking about, you know, where players live and some players play in Virginia and, you know, if you're if you live in Virginia, you could it could take you two and a half hours to drive up to a game. And you know James Grant's in England. He was like, that's about the amount of time it could take you to drive from one side of the country to the other side of the country. Like I just it's it's not realistic that you're going to ask players to fly consistently across the country and you know across the border to another country just to play games behind closed doors. Like again, I absolutely understand that playing on a rec field is not going to look great. You know, it's not going to be the best view, but the logistics of how big our country is and how big this league spans just geographically is so vastly different from what these European clubs are dealing with. When you add on top of that, the fact that, you know, the money in the budget is not for a private jet at every single flight, you know, maybe that would alter the conversation, but that's not what we're talking about right now. They take a lot of commercial flights. I mean, it's it's really this or no soccer, and I'd rather have this. Like, it's just a different conversation. It's not that MLS is dropping the ball. 
It's not that, you know, we're doing this because we're an amateur league. You know, it's just unrealistic for us to be able to do it in the same way that leagues across the world are doing it. I would rather have the games at Orlando City Stadium than at a practice field outside Disney. I think it, it, it the visual look, me watching that game in Signal Laguna Park made a huge difference. If they were just on a regular field, I probably would have stopped watching because I have no interest in the team. I hardly know the players. And now I'm just watching, literally, like like I said, it, it'll look like a U8 game. Like, I, I mean, what's well, the difference? You, and you talk about, you know, when you're scheduling, you haven't even seen how this is going to play out. But I know we had saw some issues with that during DC United's preseason games where it started getting dark. The lighting wasn't really set up for TV. It was fine for the players out there who have been playing that kind of thing their whole lives. But if you're trying to make games happen, especially in the evenings, on an area that's not set up for TV, perhaps you don't have those high vantage points that we like to be able to watch from and come to expect. I do think it's a problem, and I think you will turn off people who are trying to just turn it on because, hey, it's a sport, it's on, I want to watch it. Uh, that said, if that's what they have to do to get soccer back, I'm for it. Yeah, I, I understand. I will say to the point about why is everyone not just playing in the Orlando City Stadium, you know, for the Bundesliga players were entering the stadium at different times, you know, like through the tunnel, one team would completely come out and then the other team would have to completely come out. Like that's the effort that they were still going through to social distance. So, you know, if MLS is playing back-to-back games in a weekend at the same venue, like that is unrealistic to expect five different games to happen at one stadium at on the same day at this point. Right. So I don't think that that's a realistic that's just alternative. But as far as traveling on private jets, the, the owners of the league have that money. They're already flying private jets from Vancouver to FC Dallas games to play in front of 3,000 people anyway. So track the 3,000 people. And now we have a completely safe and legitimate league going. Well, I think. I mean, what, I agree. I, go ahead, John. I was going to say one thing to consider, you know, they've, the reporting so far has been about ESPN's Wide World of Sports, and obviously Disney has crazy hotel capacity, and ESPN's Wide World of Sports has just like an infinite number of fields. I think there's like 18 plus that could be considered soccer fields, and so to give all of the teams a place to practice, you know, that that really could fit the bill of you're staying right there at Coronado Springs, you're going to ESPN's Wide World of Sports to practice, but to play the games... You know, you mentioned Orlando City Stadium, which absolutely the league's already indicated they wanted to use um, whatever it's called nowadays. I think it's Camping World Stadium is a, a brisk walk away uh, right in the downtown area. I don't think there's going to be much going on there either. So that could be another opportunity to play there, which is where Orlando City played their games before um, their current stadium opened. And also, yeah, I was just I, I thought I saw something else. Um, Osceola, Osceola. Obviously, I'm doing terrible at pronouncing today. County Stadium um, was a, originally a baseball park that they've converted into a soccer-specific stadium um, for the league's um, for, for Orlando City's B team that plays in in USL League One. Osceola is the pronunciation. Thanks, Black. I appreciate that. Um, so there's potentially three like proper grounds that could be used, and um, in that case, you know, if you're playing the games in those stadiums and you're just practicing in ESPN's Wide World of Sports. You know, maybe some of the optics change. Yeah, yes. I'd be for that. I think that's the best outcome because it really does. Like Black said, this resuming now would not be for the diehard fans. Right? We we want our soccer, 
but we will gladly come back whenever the league comes back. You, you don't have to worry about this. This is about striking now while there's no other sports going on. You need to have the presentation on point. You need the pregame from Fox. You need, you know, men and blazers there, or, or at least offsite doing something. It, it's all about presenting MLS while there's nothing else and gaining those new things. That's what MLS is probably looking at on the backside. What and and doing that safely. Well, and we talked about that before. Like, yeah, you want to be one of the first ones back. You want to be grabbing people and saying, hey, this is a product that's worth watching. But you don't want to do that at the cost of a casual fan turning it on and saying, yep, this is exactly what I expected. It feels like I'm watching a high school game, which you know, some people will do. But yeah, I, I understand that the hardcore fans are going to come back and the hardcore fans are going to watch this whenever it comes up. But I do think you need to take that with a grain of salt and actually make sure that it's a product worth watching. Yeah. I mean, go ahead, John. Well, I, oh, I was yeah. going to shift gears and, and break down a little bit just of the logistics here. You know, I yeah. think that um, this is not necessarily a half-baked idea. And and, and we talked, uh, you know, a little bit earlier in the segment about how the U.S. is obviously different than Europe in the sense that, you know, and, and Joshua, you mentioned it in the earlier segment, right? I mean, France and the Netherlands have canceled the leagues entirely. Germany's already restarting. England and Spain are, and Italy are all still trying to bring it back. And if you overlay Europe on the United States, it's it's not that dissimilar. And so getting all the teams to one place to practice and play it is really the only way, in my mind, in the short term that this happens. I mean, I don't think... I don't think we're potentially playing in home stadiums for several months. And I think that's what the league is trying to avoid here is how do we get this back sooner rather than later. And then when we can go back to that, if the players have been training and playing meaningful games, then there's no ramp up time. You're just, you're just back in it. And if you look at, you know, potentially what this bubble would look like, there's almost 2000 rooms in Disney's Coronado Springs resort. Um, and so if you, if you figure each team brings, you know, 50 people, between players and coaching staff i mean that's that's easy you you can you can fit all those people no problem you've got room for officials you've got room for media and you could potentially lock down that entire property and this could work and and as long as you're not allowing other other folks you know near the training grounds at espn's wide world of sports and you know you're you're very carefully bringing you know shepherding the teams to and from practice and to and from the games and you know say you want to bring additional media to the stadiums as long as they're coming in a totally different entrance going up to the press box doing their thing there's a way this could work um and and i think we all are in agreement that the optics would be much better at these stadiums than at you know espn's wide world of sports but you know maybe some of the consolation games uh later on in the tournament are are staged at espn's wide world of sports but i was trying to do the math earlier um, after Bayern scored their second goal and I had had enough of that game, how could you potentially break down 26 teams is a terrible number. <laughs> it's just, if we were, you know, last season, 24 would have made this so much easier, but 26 teams, they've talked about potentially a group style, um, you know, start to this almost like a world cup or a champions league. And then you go into more of a knockout round what do you do? Is it, is it four groups of five, one group of six? Is it five groups of four, one group of six, two groups of six, two groups of seven, depending on how you want to get all the games played. Um, and then maybe the, some of the group winners get buys into a 2016, like knockout stage to do all the teams make it and seating is based on the group. So I mean, there's so many different ways to go here. What do you, what do you guys think would be not only the best for the players, but 
the most fun and captivating to watch? <laughs> That's those are two very different questions, John. Um, I think, you know, for the sake of playing this out um, and, you know, from what I've read, they, they want all the teams to be playing as many games because, and that's why, you know, you mentioned the consolation games. That's why they're having those is, you know, they are trying to cater to all the fans. And as we all know, when you get to the MLS playoffs, you know, fans drop off. Once your team is out, you're not watching. Um, so I do think some type of like everybody makes it to the knockout round, you know, they're going to try to give everyone as many meaning quote unquote meaningful games as possible. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, the, the people who are doing this, but I, I think them saying it's going to be world cup style definitely indicates some sort of like knockout round. You're not just like playing everyone across the league you know it's going to be very defined yeah and i think it's you know a lot of it's going to depend on how they break it down as far as like how much time they're trying to fill there's a big difference between filling eight to ten weeks or you're trying to get it done in you know four to six weeks and how that breaks down i think for me i'd like to see the largest groups you can practically do uh have as many games as possible within those pods and then use that to inform the seating i think Sam's point that trying to put every team in the knockout racket is probably necessary, but there are certainly teams that you would rather avoid playing uh, if you have the chance. Uh, the Constellation games, sure. I, I'll probably watch DC United if they get knocked out, but hopefully I'm watching them all the way to the Disney Cup. Uh, that being said, I think the Constellation games they work great if you're playing in youth soccer and you've got guys who've traveled for a weekend of games, but I don't think you necessarily need to do it when you're trying to say this, this matters, it means something. Uh, you get the same kind of friendly atmosphere. Like, I'm going to be much more upset if one of our players gets themselves hurt in a consolation game that doesn't actually have any impact on standings. There's nothing at stake. They're just playing the game so that they can fill the time. That's that's concerning to me. So you raise a really critical point there, though, which is if the league is trying to make sure that all the teams are playing a similar number of games, do the consolation games count? Do all these games count toward the standings? I mean, that's something that has to be figured out here. I mean, it's it's been thrown around that this is all for a potential Champions League spot, which would be awesome, and and in my opinion, would be enough to get me to watch it. It's it's almost like a mini Open Cup, but. If you bring in the variable of if these games count towards the MLS standings, are you still broken into conferences? Does everything realign as a result to try to figure out playoffs? I mean, that makes things a lot more complicated. I, I think it has to, to to fit into the season, right? I think we, we're already past due two months on games. And, and if we do this, this will probably take another two months. So it has to count towards the, the season table. And then from there, you could do a playoff based on that. But I, I wouldn't mind. I've seen what you kind of broke it down into. I, I like the two groups of six, two groups of seven. You could split the conferences, have them all play each other like that. And that would be pretty similar to what we do in MLS anyway. Like the real points are within your conference anyway. Uh, and then that has the playoff implementations. You start from playoffs from there. Uh, it wouldn't be too far from an MLS season. I think that. I mean, I, I 
disagree. I think you don't count this as an MLS season. Like, I think, yeah, you can keep it within the conferences. You know, you can honestly do whatever you want. But I think you call a spade a spade. You call it the Disney Cup. And you say this season isn't an actual season. You say, you know, no one's getting a star in their jersey this year. No one's getting the MLS Cup or the Supporter Shield. You're right. Like, the Champions League spot, like, would be interesting. It would make it a meaningful tournament. Um, and I think that the league just kind of leans into, like, yeah, this is silly and, like, weird and not what anyone wanted. But I don't think you can compare it to a league. I don't think you – nobody who wins this season is going to be able to say that they won in the same way that people have done in seasons past. MLS it's not the same. has to give this credibility to get people to watch. If you don't give it credibility, if you don't give it real meaning, why is a casual fan going to come on and, and then they'll explain that this just doesn't count, this is just for fun? You're, that's not where the competitive nature that all these players, all these fans have. Well, that's, that's not how you Well, that's it. where you put it like in a Champions League spot. Like you make something out of it or, you know, you put like extra prize money at the end or whatever. But I think that it delegitimizes what it means to put a star on the crest if you say that you can win a knockout round tournament in four weeks and then suddenly you're an MLS champ. Like that does not mean the same thing. Do you think an LASC fan would agree with you? Because their roster is set as far as the dynasty. We know how dynasties work or, you know, these franchises work in MLS. It takes years to get them primed. And once they're primed, you have a very short window to actually cash in on that. Would you be saying that if your team was stacked and ready to win an MLS cup? I think that every other fan in the league, I think that if your team, if your team wins, maybe, yeah, you say that that's legitimate, but I think every other bitter fan who didn't win, you know, especially the ones who make it pretty far in the tournament are like, well, that wasn't legitimate anyway. Or, you know, say like LA or LA galaxy somehow wins and gets a sixth star. You think anyone's going to tell them that they have so many stars in their chest and that additional one is legitimate. Like, I don't think this is setting the winning team up for success. If you try to say it's, the same type of meaningful title. So I don't, well, I, I don't think, think that. Go, go ahead, Black. Well, I think it gets back to the original point we were saying of you know how much time are you trying to fill with this, and is it replacing the season or is it something that is allowing them to play some kind of games that are meaningful? Because I think you can attach some kind of standings to it. Maybe it's the consolation games you're playing or within your conference, or you, you find some way to. I mean, it's not going to be perfect, but if it's something that you end by the end of July, then you can say you can have games by August, and then you get another two months of regular season games and you reschedule. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be perfect, but I think at least that way it can work. Now, I certainly agree with Sam that if you are saying that this is what the MLS season is going to be, we're going to keep them in Disney World for three months, and whatever happens from that is how we're going to declare our champion. That I'm not here for. Uh, I'll certainly put the Mickey Mouse logo right next to the stars on uh, Jersey, but I'm not going to uh, really come home and say that, you know, hey, we won a championship no matter what that format was. Yeah, I, that was kind of where I was headed on this, too. Like, I think that this is a nice interlude to kind of level the playing field of everyone can train. You know, no matter where your team is geographically located, if you're all in Orlando, you've all got the same rules about training, you've all got the same rules about games. We play some games, we have a tournament that matters because you get a you know Champions League spot out of it. But if it were me, I would say the games potentially don't count towards the standings. You know, maybe you maybe you're trying to get everybody to play the same number of games, and you're right, you're gonna have challenges in that constellation bracket of like, okay, these are basically friendlies, but sure, maybe they are basically friendlies. You know, maybe you've got some of the kids for DC United that were gonna be potentially logging minutes at Loudon now they're playing um and then once that's done if you can make the assumption which i don't think 
I don't think we can at all, but if, if you could make the assumption that then we can go back to playing in empty stadiums, but at least, you know, at, at the stadiums, then maybe you're doing a shortened season where you play every team in your conference one time, you build a playoff bracket, you know, based off of that, and, and you say go, and, like, that's your MLS season, which is obviously much, much smaller, um, but at least it's somewhat similar to what we know. Yeah, I think the fact that they're talking about doing this like tournament style and they're not just having teams play each other and they're not just trying to make up the games that we've missed indicates to me that like this season is not being made up. You know what I mean? Like we've already lost 10 weeks of the season. The fact that you're going to take another like two to three months potentially because they need the weeks of you know, training per the CBA, and then they're going to actually start playing games. The fact that the league is taking this time and wasting it on a tournament, regardless of what that tournament ends up meeting at the end, meaning at the end, to me means that we're not trying to resume afterwards. You know, it's not like at the end of the tournament, we can be like, okay, we're going back to the season. You know, it's now September and we're going to try to make up an entire season in four months. Like that to me is just not realistic. And I think that that's okay. I, I would prefer that they just all go down to Orlando and like play season games and try to make it up and just call that a season. But I think if they're going to do this tournament style, I think it's the most okay for MLS because we were so early in our season. You know, for these other leagues in Europe, they were having to make much more difficult decisions because they were so far into their season that they had the ability to just you know, play these 10 games in a confined way and potentially elongate their season and make it work. But for us, I think we had so much to do and we've lost so much time that I just don't see us being able to regain that time because MLS is going with this tournament. Yeah. So, you're, so, so if I understand you right, Sam, your problem is not so much with the fact that we're coming back, but the fact that they're talking about doing it in a tournament format. In your ideal situation, we would be saying, hey, we can't have teams playing at the different home stadiums. They're not able to train in certain areas. I think the California teams still aren't able to do individual training. But if we're going to do this, we need to just have them all in one place and just play the season like you would normally do. No extra kind of gimmicks to it and just use that as uh, filler time. Is that kind of what, what I'm hearing here? I think if we were to say that if we were to be able to – crown like an MLS champion and give a supporter shield that's at least comparable to the way that we've done for the past 25 years that's what needed to happen the league has not chosen to do that they've chosen to do this world cup tournament style and to me that indicates that the league is acknowledging that we're not getting back on track with this season you know they're trying to change the season to make it something different and to me that's not comparable I I think and I'll go team Joshua on this that (laughs) I'd be willing to wager that the tournament down in Orlando has effects on MLS Cup. Either the winner is MLS Cup champion or the winner gets points towards the, the league table and, and that goes on into the playoffs, and then that becomes MLS Cup. I mean, you could do it the way they do the uh, Campeones Cup, you know, the, between the winner of Liga MX and the winner of MLS Cup, if you have enough to do both tournaments. Uh it would be different, and I don't necessarily want to see that moving forward. Like, I don't necessarily want the Open Cup team playing the MLS champion to declare a United States champion. But I think we may be getting a little bit too far under the weeds. You know, we've been talking for the last eight to ten weeks about how 
much we want soccer back and how desperate we are. We did an entire show on a FIFA tournament. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, I want soccer back uh, however we can get it. Uh, the powers that be are going to make their decision there, and we're probably going to come on here and, and we're going to have issues with it, but at least we get soccer back. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right, and I think there's two key things that we have to say, you know, about this concept. And, and one is that it's very much not official yet. You know, this is what the league wants to do. There's there clearly has been enough work going into it, um, where they've found a number of things that seem very doable. But the players have to agree to this, and they have not yet. Um, and it's it's very very pertinent that the new CBA was agreed to, but not necessarily signed and ratified yet. Um, so there's that variable that's still out there that, that, you know, the owners could lock out the players in an attempt to get them to try to play and blah, 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 which would be terrible and even more terrible with a pandemic in the background. So hopefully this is something that the league and players can work together on, uh, in trying to, to figure out. But the other thing to think about here is, you know, the league has a chance to make some money here. If we think about a tournament in Disney world, ESPN's going to be eating this up. There's no other sports going on right now. You know, maybe there's some baseball that starts to come back, but the league could potentially strike a deal here with ESPN to televise this entirely across its platforms and ESPN Plus. Um, they could make a chunk of money here, and, and of course, maybe they have to cut this entire season or a good chunk of it from the Fox Univision and ESPN deal that, that the league normally has from a national perspective, but that could be a big opportunity here uh, that, that I don't think Major League Soccer would want to pass up. Yeah, you know, I think at this point there are, there are just so many unknowns. <laughs> you know, this the league isn't, you know, putting a whole lot of details out there probably because they're still trying to figure it out. Um, and, you know, like Black mentioned a little bit earlier, I think we should just be happy that soccer's coming back here in the U.S. and we're all getting to support, you know, our, our favorite team. Um, and at the end of the day, we just hope that we get as many games as possible. Um, speaking kind of of DC United specifically um, and what they're doing because we've talked about, you know, season ticket members are continuing to be charged for their season tickets um, and things like that. We've talked about that on past shows. So I just wanted to highlight the email I got on Thursday from my season ticket rep um, kind of outlining the fact that there are still unknowns and, you know, everyone's really hopeful that games will be played at home stadiums with fans this season um, you know, but if not, this email kind of outlines that um, as fans will be notified of any adjustments and any games that definitely are being canceled or are being played behind closed doors. Um, and it says, quote, um, the team will automatically apply your funds from the canceled matches towards future matches and seasons. So, you know, there's a potential for these funds to be applied to next season. And they also have a program um, where you can donate those tickets. Um, it says the club will be providing free match day access to at least 8,500 heroes of the COVID pandemic and other community partners. Um, should matches be canceled or played without spectators this year, you will have the opportunity to join us and donate your tickets. So it sounds like DC United is taking all these unknowns into consideration and, you know, they're trying to do right by their fans. And they're uh, giving the opportunity to either apply the money that we're paying right now forward um, either towards our season or towards donating the tickets, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so if you have more questions about that, I would definitely recommend reaching out to DC United. 
Yeah, and the other bit of DC United news that we we have to mention this week is that um, Chief Business Officer uh, Andy Bush is leaving the club on uh, on personal terms to spend more time with his family, uh, and that's something that you know I I for one can say I'm I'm very disappointed in. I mean, super happy for Andy, but he's he's been a huge force uh, with the club, and um, I think across most of the supporters groups was somebody who was pretty well respected and pretty well beloved for for everything that he's done over the past couple years. Um, and you know, on a very personal note, I don't know that this show would exist in its current format without Andy. Uh, he, he was really instrumental in, in getting us the access, uh, to be a post game show, uh, that, that we needed in order to, to make this thing work for the, for the two weeks that we got to. And, and of course what we'll be back to at, at some point in some fashion. So, um, thank you, uh, to Andy, if you're listening, uh, we, we appreciate the support you've given us and the entire DC United family and we'll miss you, uh, big shoes to fill for whoever, uh, whoever is your eventual backfill or a team of folks that have to step up to do the work that you did. So thanks for everything that you've done. Any closing thoughts, friends? Let's get soccer back. Let's get it soon. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. And yeah, hopefully we have some more answers to talk about on next week, next week's episode. Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to, some additional details and, uh, and another weekend of Bundesliga next weekend to recap. So thanks for bearing with us uh, throughout all of our technical difficulties today here on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken.